isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Big waves batter the coast. Salt. <laughs> Ferry and flight cancellations. And the wind whips up an unusual sight near Tofino. BC's groundbreaking move to stop cervical cancer. It's super, super easy. The first in Canada to offer at-home test kits. And a grieving mother's anguished appeal. Have a heart and just help us get closure. The plea for clues that'll crack her daughter's mysterious murder case. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Wind is rocking Vancouver Island with multiple ferry cancellations, thousands of power outages and storm surges along the coast. Richard Zussman joins us now from Dallas Road in Victoria and Richard, the high tide and the winds have receded now, but earlier it was a completely different story. Yeah, it was a perfect combination, Chris, and these winds are whacking me now, freezing me to the bone, and you saw earlier today those high winds you mentioned gusting at times around 100 kilometers per hour combined with high tide, and that led to high waves, and it has left debris all over Dallas Road. Let me give you a sense of it. I'm about 20 meters now from the water, but you can see the pieces of debris were carried all the way across the road way ending up here on the other side of the road and it's not just debris on Dallas Road the wind has brought it has led to substantial power outages across southern Vancouver Island and although BC Hydro has been able to restore power for tens of thousands of customers there are more than 3400 customers still out of power right now on southern Vancouver Island there are more than 20 outages connected to that but the sense you get from people down here on Dallas Road. The road was closed for most of the day, but people still came to watch the incredible waves. They spoke about the power they saw in those waves, the beauty, but also its ability to cause destruction. Let's have a, get a sense of what people had to say that just came out to take a look at this incredible weather. Well, it's difficult even to, to stand up or stand still here. You saw me try to take pictures of my cell. Well, I might have been airborne at any time with the wind resistance I was putting up. I've seen waves and I've seen wind out here. I don't think I've ever seen the combination of wind and waves quite like this. The, the little pellets of water, they're like ice stinging your face. It's fun. Yeah, it's like when do we ever get to see this? So. It's pretty cool seeing how much power there is coming off the ocean and just crashing into this brick wall. I'm loving it, man. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly why I moved here. Uh, cold. <laughs> Rejuvenating. Yes. We've got a sauna just there, so we keep going back and forth. Where yeah, people pay a lot of money to get this sort of cold treatment. Sometimes it's saunas, you get it for free out here today. You can get a sense for my hood, Chris and Sophie. These winds are still whipping, although they're down a little bit from where they were. Uh, all the visitors have gone away now, and we'll see what's left once all of this gets sorted tomorrow. 
seems the worst is behind us, but it was quite the sightseeing today for so many that came down here to Dallas Road. Richard, maybe you can figure out where that sauna is and get in there and warm up. Thanks very much for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I need a Chris. <laughs> All right, for sure. That's Richard Zussman in Victoria for us tonight. Now, BC ferry sailings between the mainland and southern Vancouver Island are running again after some early morning cancellations. The ferry service canceled the early sailings between Tawasin, Swartz Bay and Duke Point due to the strong winds and high waves in the Strait of Georgia. Later in the morning, the winds died down enough for service to restart and Sailings resumed at 11 a.m. It was a little choppy from uh, Sturdy's Bay, Galliano Island to Tawasin, but it was handled really well by the crew. And How it do you is feel? Kind of wavy. They told us not to get out of our seats, and that you just like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, there's warnings. They were contemplating not going across to come here because it's like of the wind and the waves. The high winds and waves also forced the closure of the White Rock Pier. The city of White Rock says closing the popular attraction was a safety precaution with winds gusting up to 90 kilometers per hour during high tide. Now, in December of 2018, you'll remember the pier was badly damaged by a powerful winter storm, packing hurricane strength winds. The conditions today nowhere near as extreme. Rebuilding the pier after that storm took eight months. No word yet now on when the pier will reopen. And take a look at this. Ali sent us this video from South Beach in Tofino. Foam whipped up by the storm, washing all the way up the beach into the forest and up the trails. He says the foam was nearly two meters deep in some places. Ali says he's lived in Tofino for 20 years and has never seen anything quite like this. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. And Christy, we were warned about the wind for today, and it certainly delivered. What's next for this stormy week? Well, cold is on deck, that's for sure. Sophie, I just wanted to touch on the winds, the strongest winds, certainly along the outer coast of Vancouver Island and off the coast of Victoria, over 100 kilometers an hour, a little bit less than through the interior regions or the inner coast, I should say. But we still had thousands without power across the lower mainland and the Sunshine Coast. Now, the outer coast and Victoria winds will ease overnight, turning our attention now to extreme cold. An extreme cold warning has just been issued for the northeastern corner of the province. Now, tomorrow is a transition day for that cold but we are going to feel that arctic air right across the province by thursday and certainly into friday for the northeastern corner of the province tonight and tomorrow night with that extreme cold warning wind chills below potentially minus 40 for you which means you could see frostbite within 10 minutes so back to you yikes all right thanks for that christy all right, big news in healthcare today with BC taking a leading role in the detection and treatment of cervical cancer. People in this province will become the first in Canada to get a screening test they can do in the comfort of their own home. As Kylie Stanton reports, it's part of an effort to improve cancer care in this province. So this is the test that I took. More than 13,000 people have used this kit conducting a medical test from the comfort of their own home as part of a massive pilot project. Follow the instructions. It's super, super easy. And now the cervix self-screening program is set to launch province-wide. This program puts the power to prevent cervical cancer in the hands of ordinary British Columbians. It's a first in Canada. As of January 29th, individuals with a cervix between the ages of 25 and 69 can choose to order a kit to self-screen for the human papillomavirus, or HPV. 
the leading cause of cervical cancer. It'll make a big difference for people. Currently, results from a traditional pap test can take upwards of three months. It's very anxiety provoking and it can be triggering not knowing what my results could possibly be. But the new program will eventually phase out that primary method of screening. Results are said to be quicker, more accurate and good for five years versus three. At the same time, obstacles are removed. Be they cultural barriers, be it for people who have experienced um, sexual abuse, domestic violence, just accessing a family doctor who will do your pap smear for one. Patients who have abnormal results will be linked to community health clinics or their primary care provider, if they have one, will be notified of the result. Abnormal test results will then be referred in a facilitated manner to a BC Cancer accredited diagnostic service, which is colposcopy. But if there is a cancer diagnosis and treatment is required, there are still major concerns over the state of care in the province. How will that access be improved? Uh, because right now we know we have the worst wait times in Canada for a wide range of cancer issues. The government admits this is just one step as part of its 10-year cancer plan. But through immunization and screening, patient outcomes are only expected to improve, ultimately reducing demands on the system as a whole. It could just save your life. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Anything to cut health care costs will be important with a skyrocketing number of MSP enrollments over the last couple of years, eclipsing anything in the decade before. Keith Baldry joins us now with a little bit more on this. Keith, this is putting a huge strain on the province's already stressed health care system. Yes, these numbers are absolutely staggering. Just got them from the health ministry yesterday. Uh, again, the numbers we're seeing, people joining the medical services plan, which is a great measuring stick for how many people need to uh, access health care, is absolutely staggering when you compare it to previous years. Here's how the MSP numbers break down over the last decade or so. Uh, the 10-year average uh, for between 2011 and 2021, about 68,700 people, uh, new people would join the plan every year, 1.4% increase. But take a look at the last two years. It's just phenomenal. Almost 150,000 people in 2021-2022, uh, almost 190,000 in 2022-2023. Together, that's almost 340,000 people in just two years alone. Uh, our growth rate now is 3%. We're already putting an enormous strain in an already strapped system. We caught up with Health Minister Adrian Dix today. says this is a big reason why they desperately need to hire a heck of a lot more doctors and nurses. We're building new cancer centers, we're building new hospitals, and, and we're adding healthcare workers because we have to meet that test. Um, and uh, the decisions about how many people come to BC, that's more federal jurisdiction than ours, but we've got to meet the test of providing care for people, and that's what we're working to do. So the numbers keep coming here, Chris. So again, in the second quarter of the current year, 53,000 people joined MSP. We stretched that over four quarters. We're talking about 200,000 more people on top of the 337,000 people you saw in that graphic. So uh, very quickly, a half million people joining the, the healthcare system. I don't think we can keep up fast enough. It's almost as if the healthcare system's on a, a bit of a hamster wheel here. One final statistic, you know I've been reporting on the hospital bed occupancy rate from time to time, predicting we're gonna reach a record. Exactly what happened last night. In BC, 10,298 people occupied a hospital bed yesterday. That's an all-time record that will surely be broken in the days ahead. Can't build enough hospitals, can't hire enough doctors and nurses is, is what it sounds like to me. Thanks very much, Keith. Yep.
Millions of COVID-19 rapid tests have been put to use since they first became available back in February of 2022. But now one of the province's health authorities says those tests aren't accurate enough for a clinical diagnosis. An Interior Health Authority memo instructs all staff and facilities to stop using those tests immediately. The memo says BC Centre for Disease Control oversight of COVID rapid tests has been withdrawn for healthcare settings and lab tested nasal swabs should be used instead. They're going to the uh, PCR test, which uh, we've always known is uh, more sensitive and more reliable in, um, in, in general. And in these particular settings, they're mandating that that be the test of record. Those tests can pick up other things than just say COVID-19. And that's the reason we're doing it. It's a healthcare decision and it's the most efficient way to do it and the most efficient way to track what's going on in our healthcare facilities in terms of infectious diseases. Again, those guidelines are for healthcare settings. You are still being encouraged to self-test at home as needed. Emotions were raw this morning in Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park, where once again a tent encampment was taking shape. With police supervision, park board rangers removed tents that were violating a city bylaw. Housing advocates say that bylaw shouldn't exist in the first place. Alyssa Thibault reports. I'm living! That's all I'm doing! I'm trying to survive! Deja vu in Oppenheimer Park. We're evicting these people to nowhere on the coldest day of the year. Park rangers and VPD officers enforcing the city's camping bylaw, meaning those sheltering in parks have to pack up tents during the day. That's my so when, home. So when did I tell and, you? And you stop? want me to be mobile? Why are you guys being Removing any items either left behind or being used to make a structure. Meninder Singh lost his job during COVID. He's been living in the park for two months, saying it's a better system than going into a shelter every night. Six o'clock, you wake up and uh, everyone is crowded, so people start shouting at each other, so it's best to leave early. And uh, the community centres, they open at nine o'clock or ten o'clock. People need this stuff to survive. The park board says rangers are in parks daily to prevent encampments from becoming entrenched. Are the rangers going to tell you to take it down? Yeah, and as soon as they leave, I'll put it right back up. Many people we spoke with say they are on a wait list for housing, but that's no solution in the short term. Don't take his tent. Don't take his tent. I'd like to see a place for folks. I'd like to see like available shelters and alternative housing so that they can go somewhere to keep warm instead of just being displaced all the time. I have no place to go. I'm homeless. I've lost my wife. I've lost everything I've had starting over again. Just a few hours later, this park returned to virtually the way it was before this operation started. Within the next week, it is possible there could be snow here, and it's not clear if city crews plan to enforce that camping bylaw when the temperature dips below zero. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. And with that first cold snap of the winter nearly upon us, concern is growing for those who live in tent encampments. But a proposal by a group of volunteers to quickly build tiny houses or shelter sheds isn't getting much traction with City Hall. Kristen Robinson reports. Tents have been set up on the western edge of Crab Park since May 2021. And Jason Hebert says he's been living here for most of the encampment's nearly three-year history. I go through a tent every couple of months. They, they, they get beaten up pretty quick. You would remove that one, 
and clean up their belongings, put a pod right in there. That's why contractor and volunteer Bradley Gustafson wants to build tiny homes here. We need safety for the pe persons, security for their belongings, and um, enough warmth, meaning insulation, for a cold winter. And that's what we have in Canada. And a tent just simply doesn't cover any of those, really. We start right at this corner. In green building systems led by Sean Balagi envisions 50 pods housing some 70 people. Each insulated tiny home costs $1,500. Driven by volunteers and fundraising, the pods would be donated by his Calgary-based company. What's in it for you? Uh, all it is for us is that we are able to help uh, the homelessness in Canada. Ingreen gave six pods to a tiny homes project in Prince George. Late last year, the city issued a stop work notice for the shelters being constructed in Moccasin Flats, citing building code concerns and potential liability if anyone got hurt. These are people who have nowhere safe to stay. We will continue to build these tiny shelters where they can stay. The city of Vancouver doesn't support tiny homes in Crab Park, saying its tiny shelter pilot already has 10 homes in a Terminal Avenue parking lot. Critics say getting those units built and occupied took nearly two years. We can achieve that next week. We could start delivering them next week. A tiny home would definitely, you know, would improve our lifestyle around by 110%. Hebert, who is on the BC housing wait list, says four walls and a roof would give him a little more warmth and security. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It's a call for clues in a mysterious death. The body of a young woman found in a parking lot. But a year and a half later, it is still unsolved. What her mother says about it and her message to those who know what happened. Next on the News Hour. Hi. <laughs> Strangers no more. Sisters reunited after being torn apart in the 60s scoop. And the numbers are in how the 2023 wildfire season just broke another record coming up. Right now, though, the mother of a murdered Surrey woman is urging those who know something about her daughter's death to come forward to police. Police aren't revealing how the young woman died, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, the victim's mother believes someone out there knows, and she's making an emotional plea for answers. 21-year-old Aisha Haria was passionate about animals and fashion. She aspired to become a makeup artist and moved to Los Angeles. But a year and a half ago, she was found deceased. Only now are police revealing that her death involved foul play. When it originally came in, the cause of death was undetermined. Once that was learned uh, and further details were obtained from the Surrey RCMP, it became more suspicious. The evidence suggested that this may be a homicide, uh, and that's when IHIT was deployed. The young woman's body was found in a parking lot near 124th Street and King George Boulevard on July 25, 2022. Investigators are asking members of the public to come forward with information. Also pleading for help, Aisha's mother, who released a short video. Nothing is going to take away the pain in my heart, the void, the emptiness. But just knowing that what happened to her, you know, knowing what happened to her, and it'll give our family some closure. It'll give me some peace although it won't bring her back. Among many questions about Aisha Haria's death, is there a possible motive? Uh, there's no reason for us to think that she would have been the target of a homicide, 
but uh, we're still working to determine a motive. A cause of death is not being revealed. Police say that information is being held back as part of the investigation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A jaywalker has been arrested after attempting to shoot a driver in East Vancouver during a road rage incident. It happened Saturday night on Commercial Drive near East 12th Avenue, not far from Commercial Broadway Station. Vancouver police say the driver had to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting the jaywalker. The two then exchanged words before the pedestrian pulled out a gun and shot at the driver. Now, the driver wasn't hit and called 911. Vancouver police say the pedestrian took off on SkyTrain and was later arrested. Quite frankly, it's, uh, it's a miracle that nobody was injured. It's a miracle that nobody was killed. Uh, and we're very fortunate and thankful that um, we were able to uh, locate the suspect, track the suspect, and take him into custody uh, relatively quickly. Police say the suspect remains in custody and the investigation is ongoing. Police in Saanich are searching for a suspect after a number of vehicles were vandalized in the span of a week. Take a look at this example. A car with its left side mirror knocked off. It's one of 16 vehicles that were vandalized between December 29th and January 5th. Police say the damage is estimated to be in the tens of thousands of dollars. The suspect is believed to be a man in his 30s with a thin build. Anyone with information is asked to call Saanich Police. Still ahead, adults behaving badly. I do hear the abuse that is launched at these young men and women. Rising abuse against youth referees has Quebec using body camps and some wondering if BC should follow. And still no deal why the employer is standing firm on its job offer to striking Coast Mountain Transit Supervisors. Coast Mountain Bus Company says the current offer for striking transit supervisors is reasonable and it's calling on the union to resume bargaining. The company says the strike action, which began last weekend with an overtime ban, has not been impacting transit operations so far. Coast Mountain says the current offer of 12 to 13 and a half percent over three years is in line with other transit contracts and it calls the union's demand of 25 percent a non-starter. That is almost double what all other CNBC unionized employees the unions agreed to as recently as last year. Our offer is consistent with what those employees received. It's also consistent with what other public sector uh, unions receive. So 25% as a wage increase is, is, in our view, respectfully, not realistic. QP Local 4500 represents the group of about 180 transit supervisors. They've been without a contract since December 31st, 2022. It's a persistent problem in minor sports. The abuse of referees and other officials, many of whom are just children. Minor sports associations in Quebec and Ontario are trying to change that with body cameras for refs, a trend that might make its way here to BC. Janet Brown reports. Go to any sporting event and yelling at the referees seems to be a sporting event 
unto itself. To hear what they're subjected to is absolutely heartbreaking. Marty Jones has seen his fair share of referee abuse as a coach and now as president of Cloverdale Minor Hockey Association. From my experience and just the amount of years I've been involved with minor hockey, I would say yes, we definitely see an increase, which the flip side of that is we see less and less who are interested in officiating because they know if they go to the rink that they're most likely gonna be yelled at or have something, some sort of a comment directed at them. He says body-worn cameras by referees isn't a bad idea. I'm surprised that it's taken this long because it is a safety measure for these young officials. Soccer is another sport that sees its fair share of referees suffering abuse from parents and even players. Swearing, swearing things, you're bad, you're this, you're that, a lot of, lot of bad words. Ali Abbas is a referee for BC Soccer, and he too says body cameras for refs may be a good idea. To better control uh, on the field with the players, even with the coaches sometimes, with parents as well. So you have evidence. We have reached out to BC Soccer for comment on the initiative. In a statement they say, we are aware of similar initiatives by our counterparts in Ontario and have engaged with them to gain better insight into the evaluations of the program. BC Soccer remains focused on creating a safe environment for all. Some referees with Ontario Soccer Association started wearing body cameras back in September as part of a new pilot project meant to deter parental abuse, which is a main reason they say officials are quitting the job. The move is the first of its kind in North America. Whether we'll also see referees in youth sports wearing body cameras in this province, time will tell. Janet Brown, Global News. Premier David Eby says his government is reaching out to volunteer search and rescue groups following the release of a letter alleging mistreatment by government officials. The letter, penned by a number of current and former search and rescue group leaders, claims there's an attitude of disrespect and bullying of search and rescue volunteers, while concerns about training and equipment were ignored. Eby says the acting minister of emergency management will be meeting with those groups about their concerns. I'm profoundly concerned by the allegations that were raised in this letter. You know, the search and rescue teams across our province are people, often volunteers, who uh, get a call maybe in the middle of the night uh, to go out and put their lives at risk to rescue someone who's in trouble. They deserve all of our support uh, to ensure that they can do that job effectively so that people in distress get the support they need. There are 78 volunteer search and rescue teams in B.C. They're credited with saving about a thousand lives every year. We'll rack up another record for the 2023 wildfire season. It was already the biggest in terms of area burned. And now we know how much it's going to cost to cover the losses. That's next. And the illness spreading through places Canadians love to go to escape the cold. What to watch for coming up. 2023 was another record year for wildfires in B.C. with insured losses topping more than $700 million. If you add in flooding damages, the costs of climate change are too big to ignore. Canadians are increasingly at risk. And as Grace Key reports, there's a growing call for Ottawa to speed up plans for a national insurance program. 
With extreme wildfires and floods on the rise, it's becoming more difficult, if not impossible, to get insurance. In 2023, severe weather caused $3.1 billion in insured damage in Canada. B.C. led the country with $720 million in damage with the wildfires. Ontario's summer storms were next, with a little less than half that amount. There are some areas in B.C. that... The risk is so high for flood that you just can't get flood insurance. And this is a problem. More than 1.5 million high-risk Canadian households can't get affordable flood insurance. A statement from the federal government reads in part, Budget 2023 announced $31.7 million for a low-cost flood insurance program. The program is aimed at protecting households at high risk of flooding and without access to adequate insurance. Consultation is still underway. We needed this solution years ago. That's the reality. People have been without flood coverage for a long time. The flood insurance is relatively new in the insurance industry. It came onto the market in about 2015. And those at highest risk have not able to get coverage at all. When you look at the country's top 10 years for the highest insured severe weather losses, BC comes in at number four for the 2023 wildfires and number six for the 2021 floods. It's not just those living by lakes and rivers who can have a hard time getting coverage. Those living along the coastal areas also face challenges. We know that a lot of the coverage doesn't cover storm surge. So we really want to try to find a solution for that as well to make sure that Canadians can get the protection that they need in order for dealing with this changing climate. IBC is reminding people to review your insurance coverage, know who to call and how to start the process if a natural disaster strikes in your area. Grace Key, Global News. The other wildfire record that fell in 2023, more than 2.8 million hectares of forests were burned. That's double the previous record from 2018 and 10 times the 20 year average. Roughly three quarters were naturally caused, a quarter were caused by humans. BC was under a state of emergency for 28 days. Roughly 48,000 people were forced to evacuate their homes. 137,000 were placed on evacuation alert. Well, before you book a ticket to escape the cold weather, doctors warn you should check the risks at your destination with growing concern about dengue. Health reporter Catherine Ward has more on the symptoms and where it's spreading fastest. With chilly blasts sweeping the country, the pull to find tropical escapes can be hard to ignore. Canadians love to leave Canada in the winter and go to places that are warmer. And almost all of those places have mosquitoes. The insects spread dengue in tropical and subtropical climates. Subtropical medicine expert Dr. Michael Libman says the most common symptom is fever. Most people who actually get infected have little or no symptoms. And then you have a group of people who get more uh, serious symptoms. And then you have a very small proportion who get very sick or get bad complications and, and occasionally even fatal type of complications. Over the course of 2023, dengue cases rose close to a historic high, according to the World Health Organization. Five million cases were reported, along with over 5,000 deaths in more than 80 countries and territories. Areas like the southern United States, areas like Europe, especially southern Europe, 
as they get warmer and warmer each year, we are seeing that the kinds of mosquitoes that are able to carry dengue are being found more and more in those areas. 2023 was the hottest year on record, the Copernicus Climate Change Survey reported Tuesday, raising concerns that the virus could continue to spread. 2023 marks the first time that every day within the year exceeded one degree above pre-industrial levels, right? So that shows you that the warmth was sustained throughout the whole year. Health Canada is reviewing a vaccine for dengue. In the meantime, expert advice is to be aware of the risks before you hop on a plane and to use mosquito protection. Catherine Ward, Global News. Coming up, siblings come face to face for the very first time. I only wish that our mom was still here to see it with us what kept them apart their entire lives, and how they finally found each other. And in sports, what's taking so long to sign the Whitecaps' most electrifying player? Kamloops saw its first major snowfall of winter last night, leading to some unfortunate incidents on the road. Kamloops Fire Rescue responded to 11 motor vehicle incidents within 24 hours as the city streets became very slippery. It took a while, but crews did eventually uh, get enough snow plows out to get uh, the main roads clear and down to pavement. But guess what? They are going to get some more snow. And there's one person we know who knows how much. <laughs> <laughs> Christy joins us now with the details. Yeah, I'm so glad you shared those uh, vi uh, visuals because I actually was going to mention that, you know, here we are talking about all the winds that we had across the south coast. Meanwhile, the interior regions, yeah, had a ton of snow. In fact, I thought I would show you, this is a photo from Doris, yes, at uh, our sister station, Global Okanagan. But look at this. Kukahala saw 30 centimeters of snow as of 4 p.m. today. And then there was a range from 10 to 16 centimeters. This started last night and then continued throughout the day. But as Chris mentioned, we're not done with this just yet. We still have significant snow expected through the overnight period. It's not until tomorrow morning that it will begin to shift out and generally we are expecting clear skies tomorrow. But the Arctic front will continue to plunge south on Thursday bringing in snowfall through the interior regions in the morning and the potential for the south coast by the latter part of the day. Thursday's definitely for southern BC that transition towards cooler air and we'll feel that across the south coast as those outflow winds begin to develop. It will be cold. It will be windy late Thursday, particularly Friday and Saturday. For example, here are the daytime highs we're expecting on Friday. Yes, daytime highs, everyone. Here's a look at the forecast for tomorrow, though. Cold and clear all across the region. Bundle up in the northeast. Extreme cold warning is in effect. Now, for our region, we still have a slight chance of a shower in the morning, but trending towards sunshine. Tomorrow is a pretty nice day. It's Thursday that we're going to see that Arctic air mass more so shift into our region. And that brings in that possibility of a few flurries. But cold and clear Friday through the weekend and the wind chills will make it feel even colder than that. Keep in mind, those are uh, forecasted highs for Metro Vancouver. It will be even colder out through the Fraser Valley. Tonight, center windows weather window coming to you from Creston. Now, it's not the most beautiful photo, but Myrna sent me this photo and I had to share it with everyone. She said, I had snow angels today. Basically, she said two seniors, Roy and Al, were out shoveling the snow and clearing everyone's car and Myrna was so thankful. So Roy and Al in Creston, thanks so much for doing such a good deed this morning. Oh, that's nice. Well done. Those guys are heroes. Mm -hmm. Thank well you, done, Christine. Roy.
All right, Squire is here now, uh, trying to get a deal done with the White Yes, Cups. Brian Gold wants a deal with the Whitecaps. A new one, his contract is running out this year. So they are talking about a new contract, but they still have not come to an agreement. It's never over in, in a day or two, so um, just patience is, is key. Now this is not a guy you want to lose, so the Whitecaps better get this thing done before feelings get hurt. You don't want that happening. No, you don't. Also tonight, there are no words to describe what I'm feeling. Sisters who've spent a lifetime apart and how they finally found their way back to each other. To talk about Canucks coach Rick Tockett being coach of the year. And well, uh, yeah, they keep winning. He's I mean, a lock. Yeah, he. He should be coach of the year. If they gave out the awards right now, he'd be coach of the year. Hughes would be defenseman, Norris Trophy winner. Thatcher Demko would win the Vezina. One of the Canucks might be the MVP. There'd be a lot of trophies. Maybe even a Stanley Cup trophy the way they're playing. I mean, seriously, they're a contender right now. And since New Year's Day, when the Canucks win, uh, they win big. 6-3 over Ottawa, January 2nd. 6-4 over New Jersey on Saturday. 6-3 over the Rangers last night. The only blemish was that Weird 2-1 loss to St. Louis, which looks like a real blip the way they're playing. The lotto line has been hitting jackpots the last couple of games. Quinn Hughes, four points in his last two. And Vancouver went into its game with the Islanders tonight, tied second overall in the NHL standings. And there's the captain right there, Quinn Hughes. And the first goal is by Philip Hronik, but watch him just take out, and I mean take out Casey Sezikis with that shot. He's down. Play continues, so now it's like a power play, and Ronick will score. So he takes a man out, then he scores. He's only scored three times this year, but he scored twice against the Islanders. That's his first goal since November 25th. And then the Islanders make a big mistake, and that is they don't check Quinn Hughes. Nobody checks him. They just watch him skate, which is mesmerizing, but you probably should put a body or a stick on him because if you don't, that's what's going to happen. 2-0 for the Canucks at that point. Watch this goal by Elias Pettersson. He scored a great one last night, but watch the passing here. First of all, the nice check there by Ronick, and then watch. Miller back to Pettersson. When you can make those passes that close to the net with opposition near you, that's top flight. That made it 3-0. The Islanders would make it 3-1 on the power play. Then, this is a goal from the 80s. The big slap shot by Tyler Myers. And that would make it 4-1, and that's the way it stands in the third period. If the Canucks lead after two, it's pretty much a done deal this year. Okay, I want to show you this. Uh, U18 women's, Canada-Finland, and North Vancouver's Chloe Primorano. Look at that goal. Now she's a defender, and she became the first defender to score a hat-trick at this tournament in history. And all the goals were beautiful. One more from her. This is the hat-trick goal. And Canada won it easy by the score of 10-0. Canada's 3-0 at this tournament so far. Very impressive stuff. Uh, we talked yesterday about how Whitecaps star Ryan Gold is looking for a new contract. And considering he's Vancouver's best player, you would think the deal should get done soon. But even though they're talking, it doesn't seem super close just yet. 
they better get this done because Gold is not a guy you want to lose. And besides, he loves playing here in Vancouver. It's good the Vancouver Whitecaps are talking to Ryan Gold about a contract extension, but you really have to ask aloud, what's taking so long to re-sign a player who's become the heart and soul of the Caps in his short time here? Gold was the Whitecaps' top salary in her last season, pulling down just over $2.5 million and is no doubt wanting a raise. He's made no secret how much he enjoys being in Vancouver, yet still no contract extension. Since since arriving um, a couple of years ago, um, you know, we've loved the city, um, loved being a part of the club, so if that were to continue, we'd be more than happy. What do you think it's taken so long for to, to get across the line? That's, you know, that's not for me to say. I'm... Um, once conversations get going, you know, it's never over in, in a day or two. So um, just patience is, is key and, you know, hopefully we'll be happy soon. And that's the hope of all Caps supporters because the last thing the White Caps need is to see their league MVP candidate get tired, frustrated and feel disrespected of being nickel and dimed in contract negotiations and want out. You'd think Whitecaps ownership learned that lesson a decade ago when Camilo, who scored 43 goals in 102 appearances, forced his way out of town after failing to get paid what he thought he was worth. Obviously, ideally, um, a player wants to have his, his future sorted as, as soon as he can. And, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the club are the same. So, um, yeah, once the season starts, hopefully we won't have things like that to worry about and can just focus on having a better season. Hey look, there's Vancouver born and former UBC president Santa Ono on the stage last night after the University of Michigan won the National Football Championship over Washington. That's because he's now the president of Michigan University. He went there after running UBC for six years. Yes, it was good timing. It was, so congratulations to him. What a game. A Santa sighting. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Up next, finding family. How two sisters found each other after the 60s scoop tore them apart. Chris, we're learning more tonight about yesterday's deadly crash on the Coquihalla Highway. Police have said the driver of a Ford F-150 crossed the center median about 45 kilometers south of Merritt and hit an oncoming semi-trailer. The pickup driver was killed, his passenger hurt. Now we're learning the driver was a beloved New Westminster hockey dad. And tonight the league is honoring him and rallying around the family. The full story at 11. Chris? All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, the 60s scoop was an era which saw First Nations children taken from their homes, leaving them with little to no knowledge of their birth families or their culture. But as social media, uh, social media post changed all of that for two sisters who connected for the first time ever. Erin MacArthur shows us that emotional moment. And so I'm worried that I won't recognize her when I see her. Equal parts, nervous energy, and anticipation. Hi. <laughs> Brandy Quill is meeting her sister for the first time. <laughs> the women were removed from their childhood home in the late 1970s and early 80s. Part of what is known as the 60s scoop. Indigenous children taken away from their families and communities to live with non-Indigenous parents, cut off from their culture. Nita Quill, 
was born in Manitoba. Her mother, Linda, a residential school survivor, was deemed unfit by the government. At 18 months old, Nita was adopted by a Scottish family and taken halfway around the world. Nita had no idea of her true identity. I've imagined this moment my entire life. I've always been missing people. I've always known that there's more to me. There's more to who I am. Um, there's more to my story. Born just a few years later, Brandy was closer to home, but in many ways equally as lost. Shuffled through foster care and group homes in Ontario. Reconnecting with her two brothers and mother was a process that took decades. While they had searched for Nita, the adoption records were sealed. There was no information to go on. Finally, out of the blue, a Facebook post from Nita arrived. Two weeks after their mother had passed. I was in complete disbelief that it could be happening or like that it even could happen with us. It took nearly five more years for the sisters to finally meet all the trepidation, anxiety, all the what ifs melting away in an instant. Meeting my sister definitely calms me. Um, it's a relief. I'm looking forward to having some sense of peace and happiness in my life. From strangers to sisters. <laughs> this feels nice. A family bond the 60s scoop couldn't break. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. What a story. Glad they found each other. For sure. All right, well, uh, it's been a wild week of weather, and it's only Tuesday, Christy. <laughs> More to come, that's for sure. So what we have on deck now, the winds will wheeze overnight if they haven't already in your area. Sunshine tomorrow and a transition day, just a slight chance of showers in the morning. It's Thursday and particularly late Thursday into Friday that you'll feel that Arctic air shift in and it brings in a chance of a few flurries. Refreshing Arctic air. All right, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.